Hey, you're listening to Worst Day Ever, the podcast dedicated to the horror stories, the shit shows, the worst days on set, told firsthand from the filmmakers who survived them. I'm your host, Tom Taher. Today we have Ian Finer. Ian is a producer, a filmmaker. He owns his own production company called One Push, and he's a longtime friend of mine. You know, I actually worked with him on a YouTube series that I had shot, he produced probably a couple years back, and we've sort of stayed in touch over the last few years. And when I brought this idea to him, he instantly replied with, oh, I've got a story. And now hearing his story, it's it's a fun one. I mean, what's really cool is a lot of a lot of these stories have been kind of framed around, you know, camera department. You know, I'm a cinematographer and a lot of people I'm bringing in are, you know, G&E or DPs or camera operators. So to get somebody in here that's kind of sharing the other side of things, the producing side of things. You know, it's one thing to lose a mag or break a camera or drop a lens, but it's another thing when you're dealing with like actors not showing up on set and stuff of that nature. So without further ado, here is Ian's worst day ever. Hey, so my name's Ian Finer. I'm here on Worst Day Ever, where we're supposed to talk about our worst days ever on set. I am a producer. I've uh, been producing in California for the better part of a decade now. We have a company called One Push. We've been doing commercials, music videos. We've done shorts. We've done a feature. We've done all sorts of projects uh, in all sorts of places. And, uh, you know, I've had all sorts of experiences with a lot of different people. And, uh, you know, I know that we're not supposed to speak badly about anyone. And a lot of the worst days on set ever can uh, definitely stem from particular people. But we're going to do our best here. I'm going to tell a little story about a pretty famous actor. I'd say he's a famous B actor. He's been in a lot of Tarantino movies. And at the end of the day, he's a he's a very nice guy and he means well, but uh, he has a, you know, tendency to get on trouble on set, cause a little shit, cause a little trouble. This is a story of uh, when we were making our feature, Saturday at the Starlight. It's an unreleased feature. It'll probably never come out, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but uh, it was a good experience all around. It was our first feature film. Uh, we were working for a company called Brat, uh, which is a... Gen Z teen sort of uh, short film company and they, they produce all sorts of you know teen stuff with Gen Z influencers and uh, what have you and we created a lot of shows for them if you have a teen cousin or little sister you know mention chicken girls to her and watch her go ape shit but anyway they were trying to branch into feature films and uh, they had you know me and my producing partner Rob Roth do pretty much all the productions for them and run all the groundwork and all the legwork and everything and this feature was a big deal to us because it was their first feature it had a really funny script it was about uh 1990s prom night that goes insanely wrong and it was kind of littered with b-movie stars you know we had denise richards in there um we had a really great up-and-comer for the lead tony cavallero who was just in the righteous gemstones uh, and honestly, it was a great project. It was written by these two guys, um, Jake Dish and Nick Ligger. And at the end of the day, you know, we were really, really excited to be part of this project. But it really just turned out to be one of the most epic fucking shit shows of my entire life. I could pick so many stories, uh, you know, moments from this production. 
there's thousands of them that were just insanely bad. It was an 18 long day production in uh, October here in Los Angeles that we filmed in Northridge, and and every day there was a new hell to deal with. But one of the biggest particular hells was filling the heavy, um, trying to get uh, an actor to play the bad on the movie and we had a lot of people that we were interested in and uh, it came down to one particular person but the saga of even trying to get to this particular person and and all the people that we went through trying to fill this role uh, the role of Frank Gunt who uh, you know at one point has his genitals shot off in the middle of a roller rink and um, it really is just a hilarious role that we were trying to fill. You know, he's supposed to be mustachioed and wearing a cowboy hat and the boots, and he's riding along on a motorcycle, and, you know, he comes in and he causes a bunch of trouble at a roller rink during a 1990s prom night. Um, and uh, if that sounds funny to you, it's because it, it fucking was. It was great. And we had a lot of people who we wanted to fill this role. Uh, I really wanted Ron Perlman. Um, you know, Ron Perlman and I actually got into an altercation at a traffic light where he cut me off in his Tesla. Uh, that was years before we tried to make this movie. And uh, luckily, when we went out for him, he didn't remember that. But we didn't get Ron Perlman. The script wasn't for him. He's trying to take his career too seriously, I suppose. Um, so we were out to a lot of people. And, you know, we had the role filled several different times during production. So, you know, we kept pushing his part, his scenes during the production further and further and further because we just didn't have anyone to fill the role. So as you can imagine, you know, I'm, you know, on set in Northridge in a trailer during one of the biggest heat waves. You know, our call time was three in the morning. I remember getting to set at two uh, you know, one thirty, two in the morning and it being a hundred degrees on the blacktop where our base camp was. And it was just honestly fucking miserable. And I just remember being in that trailer every single day in like 110 degree weather, trying to call every single agent in town that we could, that we could think of that represents actors that could fill this role. Uh, I remember calling people who I, I didn't even know who they were at that point. Uh, and then eventually, you know, one of the main people we wanted for this role uh, you know, for the sake of this whole entire um, podcast and, you know, not shit talking or not telling crazy stories about anyone. I'll, and because the movie's not released, I guess it doesn't really matter. Uh, I'll go ahead. I'm going to call this person Richard Nixon or Nixon uh, for short. But uh, anyway, so we eventually landed on Richard Nixon, uh, who <laughs> is honestly a favorite of mine. His name came up a million times when we were rewriting the role we were like oh we got to get Richard Nixon we got to get Richard Nixon you know let's get Richard Nixon uh and everyone was just like oh no Nixon's a crazy fucking guy you know he's a bit of a lunatic he causes trouble no one can keep an eye on him and you know in my heart the whole time I was like I if we could just get Richard Nixon this movie would actually come together and I know that you know we can sell this thing and actually make it amazing and like I said Nixon was in a lot of, uh, you know, Tarantino movies. He's been, uh, you know, in a couple kids' movies back in the day that were very popular. Uh, one about a whale uh, that needs to get freed, whose name is Willie. Anyway, um, so we landed on him, and all the executive producers were really nervous, and obviously I was really excited because I'm a pretty big fan. And uh, they were so nervous that they were like, okay, Ian, it's your responsibility. Nixon is your responsibility. You're Nixon's guy. And I'm like, oh, I'm Nixon's guy. Okay. And in my head, I'm like, oh, that's going to be awesome. I'm, I'm going to hear all these stories. I'm going to be Nixon's guy. Uh, but I always knew in my gut that this was going to be something crazy. Uh, so, you know, the first day he was supposed to arrive, 
was the first day of our shit show and he was only supposed to be there three days and you know handling him across these three days was one of the more insane experiences that I've ever had to go through as a producer nonetheless uh, but at the end of the day Nixon and I became really really good friends out of uh, out of this whole experience together so you know like I said our call time was two in the morning and uh, my executive producer calls me and he goes Nixon is missing I go what do you mean Nixon is missing? You go, where, where could Nixon be? Isn't he at his hotel? So part of Nixon's deal, and we're dealing with one of the most insane managers uh, I've ever dealt with. Uh, his name is Bruno. And, uh, you know, Br- Br- Bruno had a lot of really interesting requests for Nixon. A lot of them were obviously meant to keep him out of trouble and keep him close to set. You know, Nixon lives in Malibu, but... We had to keep him closer to set in Northridge, so we had a hotel for him closer, and we booked out, you know, a Marriott somewhere, I think, in Sherman Oaks or Woodland Hills or something like that, and we were going to have, you know, Nixon there on the top of the day, and I was supposed to go over there, and I was supposed to pick up Richard Nixon and drive him to set and make sure that everything was all good and uh, get him there. So, uh, you know, as far as we knew, that evening, you know, Nixon checked into uh, his hotel so I woke up and I get a, a call from Asher, the executive producer, and he is freaking out. He's like, he's like, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. Nixon's gonna be a disaster. Nixon this, Nixon that. We're fucked. Oh my god, what are we gonna do? Where did he go? And I go, calm down. I go, what is going on? He goes, Nixon got thrown out of his hotel last night. I go, what do you mean Nixon got thrown out of his hotel last night? He goes, yeah, Nixon got thrown out of his hotel last night because he apparently said something extraordinarily racist to. You know, one of the black women who work at the front desk of the Marriott. And they called the police and they kicked him out and we don't know where he is. And I'm, you know, now looking at my clock and I'm like, okay, well, we have about three to four hours to figure out where he is and how to get him to set. And, you know, I'm here and this is my first feature film job. And I'm like, well, what the fuck am I going to do? I'm supposed to be Nixon's handler. Let's go find him. Obviously, the logical place that I would go if I was drunk and kicked out for saying something racist at a hotel in Sherman Oaks is home. So I we drove to Malibu to find him and he was there. You know, he, he was at his house in Malibu and we, we picked him up and he was hung over and you know, he rolled out of bed and he didn't know why he was what we were gonna take him away for and he was like, All right, the movie, the movie, the movie, the movie. We were like, okay, time to go. Let's get your ass to set and we're gonna do it. So for the most part, on set, Nixon was a bit of a consummate professional, but when the cameras weren't rolling, he was a bit of a fucking lunatic. He had a lot of insane requests, like Jack in the Box tacos being paid in cash, you know, Chardonnay, back massages, back injections. It basically got to a point where, you know, he thought the world revolved around him, and I, as his handler, had to be the one to constantly tell him that he couldn't do this and couldn't do that and that he couldn't have this and couldn't have that. And, you know, it was kind of like uh, babysitting a, a child for a lot of a lot of it. But there were moments that were more tender and, and, and sweet. Nixon rides a motorcycle and Frank Gunn's character rides a motorcycle. And, you know, part of the movie was him riding his own motorcycle. And I, at the same time, was learning how to ride a motorcycle. And we rode motorcycles together, which was cool. That's something that I'll, I'll remember. But, you know, the, the night that I'll, I'll never forget was uh, 
when I showed up to his hotel in Woodland Hills and he wasn't there again. This was after we moved him from the first hotel after he was too racist to be there. And we brought him to a new hotel and I get there in the morning and he's supposed to be there and he's not there. So I go to set and the executive producers are freaking out because at this point we can't push anymore. The roller rink was expensive. The days were only getting hotter and we were only going into more, more and more overtime. And this whole entire project was just becoming a, you know, a nightmare for me. And it was a nightmare that I wasn't even experiencing firsthand on set because I was too busy running around these three or four days looking for Richard Nixon. Um, so we couldn't find Nixon and we had to continue to push our day, cut his scenes, f- figure out where he is. And, and eventually Nixon just appeared on set. <laughs> and he, he, he came on set and he goes, Ian, 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 I think this is, this is going to be my last day. And I look at him and I go, yeah, this, this actually is your last day <laughs> because it was the last, we cut all of his scenes and we were basically just going to shoot him out as soon as we got him back two or three more scenes and cut him loose because it honestly, it was too difficult to deal with him. And it's unfortunate because, you know, you always want to work with people who you like and who you appreciate. And it usually becomes something I think a lot of the time that I've heard disappointing. And this was one of those moments where it was kind of, I was excited to work with someone and then it was disappointing. Um, But there was, you know, a silver cloud on the horizon. Uh, He tried to give me his motorcycle to hold on to him on layaway, uh, which could have been cool, I guess. Uh, And uh, we rode motorcycles a couple more times after that, which I guess was also cool. But at the end of the day, I suppose... It all could have gone a lot better, and maybe that's why the movie never came out. Uh, but you know, we're still we're still trying, we're still working on it. And uh, I know Richard Nixon is out there somewhere. Probably doesn't remember this experience at all, uh, considering he was on a lot of Xanax and Chardonnay during the entire three days uh, that we were together. But hey. Um, That's just how some things go. And I've heard a lot of even worse sort of celebrity stories uh, from people. This one is probably not even that bad when you uh, get down to it. But uh, anyway, uh, that is one of my worst set days or set stories of a production that was 18 days long and fairly miserable. That pretty much wraps it up for this episode. Thank you so much, Ian, for coming on and sharing your worst day ever. Out of all the episodes so far, this one honestly seems like it could be made into a movie. I mean, just insane. I, It's very illuminating because, you know, I, I'm so foreign to dealing with like actors in that capacity. Other than them being in front of my camera while I'm shooting them, I don't know what goes on behind the scenes. So hearing this story of just how insane certain actors can be is honestly just super bizarre. So once again, thank you, Ian, for coming on. Thank you guys for listening. And if you are enjoying the podcast so far, please consider subscribing or even just sharing with a friend. And I can't tell you how much that actually really does help. You know, the more that this is shared around increases my ability at being able to reach out to other filmmakers and have them come on and share their story. And lastly, if you have a story that you would like to share on the podcast, head over to worstdayever.film and it's .film instead of .com. And I have a section on there, there's a form, you can fill it out. And yeah, I mean, I record these in Los Angeles, so if you're in the area and kind of want to pop by and you know record your story, I'm sure everyone would love to hear it. But yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. That's a wrap on this episode. Tune in next week. <laughs>